If you decided to listen to this week's message of Daxadeo Fichard Park, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. Now, if you don't know by now, we're starting an incredible series tonight, which we call Come As You Is, because we are in the south of Bloom. It's not Come As You Are here. But here's the fact. We do this sermon series every year, not only as a series to discover new truths, but actually, this is what God made this family to be. It's a space where every person, no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, will be welcomed to come and be part of this family. We have a culture of inclusivity, of bringing people into God's family and God's household. And that is what this series is all about. So for the next four weeks, I wanna invite you to come along this journey and rediscover maybe, or discover for the first time what Jesus was all about. He was about people. His focus, his heart, his mission was towards People. So are you ready for the service? Just shout Okay. I want to start like this tonight, maybe just with a sip of water. The ones the people over 35 will understand. Okay. Do you know that in China there's a social scoring system? I don't know if you know it. There's a system by which you as a citizen are scored with. You are on a scale between, I think, one and five, or zero and five. And it, it all depends on where you are on this scale, uh, your privileges in the nations and the things that you don't have access to. So, for instance, if you have a low social score, you can't travel by bus or train or aeroplane you have to walk. If you have a low social score, they can actually expel your kids from their schools. Sure, that's unfair, okay. You can't stay in hotels. This one is the worst. Your internet is throttled. You have slow internet if your social score is bad, like one make line vibes. So, I know some of you experience that frustration of Netflix, you know, just when that moment comes, the stupid rainbow wheel comes on. Imagine watching Netflix with that thing on all the time. Okay, that's the reality. You can't apply for better jobs, and this one is the worst. If you have a low score, they can even take away your dog. And probably, Sorry for the animal people here. Take it to the butchery. Okay, let's go on. Um, how do you lose points in China if you cheat on your spouse? I don't know how they figure that out, you know. It's like, okay. Jaywalking, if you don't know what that is, if you don't cross the road where the zebra lines are, but you decide I'm going to cut through traffic, a cop sees you or a camera sees your face, you are in big trouble. Stealing, obviously, if you get drunk, and if you post inappropriate things or unhelpful things on social media, just for that reason, I think it's maybe a good idea to bring it to South Africa. How do you get points? If you pay your bills on time, if you obey the laws, 
if you give donations, if you donate blood, imagine that. Where are all the blood donators? All the skinny guys, why? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, if you clean the streets, if you help all the people, you, are, you have a score. And it's so interesting, some of the countries of the world, you can go and research it, is actually considering this. I mean, the technology is already there for face recognition, that people can be uh, spotted throughout the city, and someone may come into your uh, store and immediately an alarm goes off because it's a thief. That would be helpful, come on. Okay, <laughs> it seems like you guys don't have businesses. All right. But here's the crazy thing. I think sometimes we take this concept of scoring and we apply it to our spiritual lives. Some people may think, with regards to your Christian walk with God, that there's a scoring system. There's a bunch of angels in heaven watching your every move, ticking off minus one. Oh, you showed some inappropriate signs in traffic. None of us do that. Uh, minus three or whatever. And one day when you will enter heaven, Gabriel will take out this long sheet and he will start counting the marks and the sisagoetjes. And in the end, if the good ones are more than the bad ones, you will be in heaven. But oh boy, oh boy, when the crosses are more than those ones, you've got the problems. I think sometimes we think about faith like that. There's some scoring system that we need to figure out and try to apply that in our lives and follow that because in the end, we will be judged according to that. We ask ourselves the question, who then qualifies to follow Jesus? Who qualifies to be a child of God? If we think that there's this, you know, scoring system, where's the line? When are you good enough to actually now be a child of God? Or where are you, when are you bad enough that you can't qualify to be a child of God? We have those things in our minds. We grew up with them. You would hear your parents say, sure, if that guy comes to salvation, that can only be a miracle. <laughs> I had some of those friends where I thought, if God can save them, Hitler can also be saved. <laughs> Jesus actually makes this specific thing a very major focus of his ministry. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 18 verse 10. And uh, we're going to discover something so incredible with regards to the heart of Jesus. Jesus telling the story, he said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. Just quickly, a Pharisee was the spiritual elite. They had a spiritual CV. They know the Torah. If you wanted a demon to be cast out of you, you can contact them. They were the cream of the crop in the religious world. 
They were the pastors, the priests, the worship leaders. They actually studied the word of God for a living. On the other hand, there was a tax collector. Now, in our references these days, we don't understand this concept very well, so I'm going to try and explain it as clear as possible. So, basically, in those times, they were people that worked for SARS. Okay. But not, not 100% for SARS. Okay, so what happened was the Roman world took over uh, the Jewish nation, um, and then they chose a few guys in the Jewish nation and made them a deal to say, we need people to go from door to door to actually collect the taxes for Caesar. But we're going to give you uh, protection and we're going to build a little incentive in for you. So Caesar probably wanted 20% tax, but you can decide how much you want to load that and make that your little commission. So now, a guy who is not sure what he wants to do for a living in a family, he sees this opportunity, and it's mean cha-ching! So he leaves his family, becomes a tax collector, and then he goes back to his oma and say to her, Caesar takes 20, I take 10 above that, thank you. They were the scum of the earth. The Jews hated the tax collectors. It was their own people betraying them. They were below sinners and adulterers. If you go and watch all of those lists in the Bible, it's sinners, adulterers, and tax collectors. They were the scum of the earth. So these guys rock up at the temple. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. The spiritual elite. Listen to his prayer. God... I thank you that I'm not like other people. What an arrogant prayer. He said, I'm not like robbers or those who do other evil things. I'm not like those who commit adultery. I'm not even like this tax collector. And then he brings his CV. I fast twice a week. I think he's lying. Anyway, it's not like intermittent fasting. It's like the proper thing. I mean, what day do you choose in a week? Two days. He says, I give a tenth of all that I get. Now it's the tax collector's turn. Listen to this. But the tax collector stood farther away than the Pharisee. He would not even look up to heaven. He brought his hand to his heart and prayed, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Then Jesus says, I tell you, the tax collector went home accepted by God, but not the Pharisee. And then this statement, all those who lift themselves up, and I want to add in the kingdom of God, will be made humble. And those who make themselves humble will be lifted up. Here's the thing. Religion says you have to be at a certain level to qualify by your good works and your performance as a Christian. 
Jesus says, come as you are. He uses the most extreme example of a tax collector. He says, come as you are. You see, the world teaches us and religion teaches us, you are only accepted if we like you. No undesirables accepted. Jesus says, everyone is welcome. I just love the inclusivity of Jesus. He was never afraid to spend time with, his, time with the Samaritans, with sinners, with tax collectors, even the lepers. He would touch them and they would get healed. He was spending time with the disabled, the blind, the sick, the demon-possessed. He wasn't at all afraid to spend time with these people. And he gave every person that acceptance to say, come as you are. What was the invitation of Jesus? Come as you are, or maybe come, but first sort yourself out. You have to... You know, have these things under control, get rid of that, sell that, uh, unlike and unfollow all of these people, then come as you are. No, he said the following, he says, Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. How many times have you heard that scripture quoted in a sermon where the person is trying to communicate to you that about heaven and hell and they would say, you have to repent to get into heaven? Well, I'm sure you can use it for that, but the better understanding of this scripture is the following. Repentance, metanoia, metanus, means the changing of the mind. The changing of how you perceive things or look at God and others. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven that Jesus speaks about here is not necessarily the place, heaven, that we will be in one day. That guy agrees. Listen to this. In the beginning, Adam and Eve was put in the Garden of Eden God was with them. They had communion with him. They had connection. They, was, they were face to face with their creator. Sin entered and God kicked them out of Eden. In a sense, Eden was the, the place where heaven and earth met. Now sin entered and heaven and earth is now divided up until the point where Jesus put his foot on this planet. And again, he reconciled us to God. He redeemed us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And what happens now to a person that is saved is the fact that the kingdom of God is now at hand. It's available. It's near. What does the kingdom of God mean? It means there's a king. Jesus is king. He's sitting on the throne. He rules, he reigns. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is the following. It's life under the rule and reign of Christ. It's kingdom life. 
There's a difference between Jesus being the Savior who died for your sins so that you can spend eternity with Him and Jesus the Lord and King under which we commit our lives, we surrender our lives and He becomes the master of our lives with regards to every aspect of my life, my career, my family, my money, my sex, everything. He's now the master. I surrender to Him. That is kingdom life. Life in God's kingdom is living under His reign and His rule. So Jesus says there are a few things that you have to change in your mind for you to experience kingdom life, to enter into the kingdom. And tonight we're going to speak about the first thing. Please turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 to 4. Jesus is with his disciples and he says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, this resonates with me as a man. I mean, yes, you have buddies, you have friends. You do stuff together, you run, you cycle, you play Fortnite or whatever. But at one stage, there comes a time where you want to know, where do I rank? Who's the greatest of us? Even if you're best friends, you won't maybe say it, but you want to know, you know, who's the, who's the goat here? Who's the, who's the better guy? The disciples actually did the same. They came to Jesus like, Jesus, we don't want to be offensive, but can you maybe tell us who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? So they are in anticipation. I see this picture. Peter, he's like, obviously, I mean, I walked on water. I was there with the transfiguration. I saw Moses and Elijah with Jesus. Jesus paid my tax by taking a coin out of a fish's mouth. I mean, guys, let's not even debate this. I'm the guy. My name means rock. I can see Matthew, if you've watched The Chosen, he's like, okay, I'm going to excuse myself from this conversation. The brothers of thunder. I mean, if you, you're, uh, James and John, if your name is you are known by the name Brothers of Thunder. What are your dad like? You know, if you are the Thunderbolt, you know, what is he like? I mean, they come there and they're like, we come from a good family. We've got thunder in us. If you want to pick the greatest person in the kingdom of God, it's us. And John is like, yes, uh, um, me, not us. <laughs> Can we just for one moment not be twins? They weren't even twins, you know. Jesus surprises them. So they are waiting in anticipation. Who's the greatest? Jesus calls a little child. Listen to this. He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change, metanoia, metanus, repent, and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom 
of heaven. He's not speaking about salvation and eternity. He's speaking about the kingdom life, rule, under God's rule and reign. He says the following, Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. I mean, this is good news. Basically, Jesus is saying, become younger. Get smaller, you know. I want to, like, I sometimes, I don't know about you, but I, like, sometimes wonder what age will we be in heaven? I hope not the one that you actually die with. I think 30. You know, things don't bother, bother you that much. You don't have pimples anymore. You know what you like and dislike. Definitely not teenagers. <laughs> I won't be in heaven with a few teenagers or students. Okay, yeah, I find me that. Don't worry. Jesus is saying the greatest thing in the kingdom of God, you have to become like a child. Terms and conditions. He's not saying you should become childish. Some people will tell you in the Christian faith, if you want to follow Jesus, don't think, just believe. Believe like a child. Put your brain off. Go with your emotions. That is not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying become childish. He's saying in your spiritual posture, position yourself in God's kingdom as a child. Three implications, and then I'm done. What does it mean to be a child in God's kingdom or become like a child? First thing is dependency, dependent on God. I have three boys, and they are struggling to, you know, in this phase of being 100% dependent on my wife and I and trying things on their own and then failing and coming back to dependency and independency and dependency. If they go, go on like this, like for 12 years, I'm going to kick them out because I want them to grow to maturity and be independent, you know. I'm not in for the thing of a 40-year-old kid that's living in my basement, sorry. But sometimes we think about that, we project that kind of, you know, we work towards independence in our spiritual lives as well. You know, when you get saved, it's like amazing. God answers your prayers. You, 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 in, you love His provision. You love His presence. You're like, a, you're like a child in the kingdom of God. But then at a certain point, I mean, you have to become a young man and then a father in the church. So you grow into that space where you start to figure out stuff on your own. You become independent, you know. Uh, I'll figure out my own sin, you know. I don't need help because I'm, I'm uh, uh, mature in the faith, you know. Um, <laughs> my friend, in the kingdom of God, you will never outgrow dependency on Him. Never. It's the upside down kingdom. The kingdom of this world say, be independent. The kingdom of God say, you will always be dependent. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse five, maybe this needs to be your verse for the year. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And he's speaking about 
the spiritual life of his children. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. You are dependent on him for salvation, for guidance in your life, to grow in the Holy Spirit, for purpose, for provision, to get your needs fulfilled. You are 100% dependent on him. You have to position yourself in that posture of saying, God, I can't do this on my own. You do it for me. But we are so good with trying to take control of our own lives sometimes. And it's out of fear, my friend. Yes, you depend on God up until a certain point because you have to have control about this thing. Because you're unsure. You are fearful of the unknown. You just keep this thing to yourself so that you can feel secure. It's an illusion. Control is an illusion. Who's in control? God is in control. And if you, as a child of Him, positions yourself to say, God, I am 100% dependent on you. I'm even going to, you know, leave this one thing that I think I'm in control of. And I am going to place myself fully in the hand of God. When that happens, the kingdom of God becomes a reality in your life. That is kingdom life. I am in his hand. Next one, innocence. I think the most beautiful thing about a kid is just his, his innocence. <laughs> How easily they are, you know, in awe and wonder of little things. They're teachable. They're like sponges, you know. Teach me, teach me. And then someday they will try to teach you. Yeah? Parents of teenagers. So <laughs> I have three boys and sometimes I... I drive them to school early in the morning, all three of them. My wife is a teacher as well. So sometimes she needs to be very, uh, very early in the morning. She leaves for school sometimes. And then I, I take all three of them to school. Now, we live about less than a kilometer, I say 900 meters, maybe 1.2 from, uh, from the school. You think, man, it's an easy drive. Just throw this. Kids in the car, drive to school, drop them off. No, 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 no. <laughs> My friend, it's war. You have to be prepared. You don't go into that car without a battle strategy. If you ever want to experience something like that, just give me a call. It will quickly bring you back to earth. And uh, let me say contraceptive as well. <laughs> So I need a strategy for them in the morning. So I started this interesting thing. I imagine with them that my car is an aeroplane. So I strap them, I put their oxygen masks on, and this is your captain speaking. Are you ready for the location? Fijar Park Primary School this morning. It's a bright morning out there. Not windy at all. No clouds in the sky. This is going to be an easy flight this morning. And they're like, Papa, Hanet. 
And I like start the car and start driving in the street. And then when I get around that first corner, I mean, I floor that automatic because we need to lift to in the air. So they're like, oh, this is scary. And then we're in the air. We drive by Save Right. They greet the people at Save Right. We drive by the street. We greet everyone. And uh, I ask them, okay, let's prepare for landing. And they are in awe. <laughs> Some of them say, uh, pilot, pilot, captain, captain, my uh, oxygen mask is off. I stop the car immediately, you know, get back, help them. <laughs> I tell them, we're going to land very soon. We're going to go down. I, I think it's going to be an easy one because there are no winds, no clouds. And as we get around that corner, there are winds, tornadoes, rainstorms. So I would, you know, uh, drive the car like this you know, brakes, and at the last minute, I would just make a complete stop, and everyone would like, go, and then they would say, they would say, sure, was a rover landing. <laughs> Get them out of the car, happy, no cries, no tantrums, nothing. My day begins with peace. The imagination of a child, the innocence of a child. Let me ask you personally, where and when did you lose your wonder and your awe for God? When last did you just stop and say, I'm breathless? This God is incredible. So Jesus would do miracles. And the Bible says after each one, there were people that actually said, or they said, the Bible said they would be filled with awe, go on their knees and worship him. And others would say, I still don't believe. A child to experience the kingdom of God, you need that innocence restored to see the wonder and the beauty of who God really is in your life. Third one, simple trust. My kids trust me. The older one, is actually getting a bit heavier and I'm also getting a bit heavier. So for me to catch him, he, he's, he's, you know, taking the risk and assessing the risk for me to do it. But he still trusts me, so I catch him. But when they come two by two, I, I mean, they floor me. But somehow they trust me to catch them. They simply believe. I think in the world today, Authority figures or leaders are under incredible challenge when it comes to being trusted. And we might sometimes, again, project that towards God to say, I'm distrustful. My trust has been broken so many times that I'm not sure if I can really simply just trust him 
there's this beautiful moment. Jesus is going to the house of Jairus. His daughter is dying. A lady in the crowd touches him, get healed. And then someone comes back from the house to say, no need. The, the, the girl is dead already. Jesus then replies and says, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will get healed. So yes, we, we don't become childish and, uh, childish and switch off our brains, but there will come a point in your walk with God where you have to trust Him fully. Where you have to put your full weight on Him. Jesus ends this discussion, Luke chapter 18, and He says, but Jesus called the children to Him and said, let the little children come to Me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And we took that scripture and applied it to actual little children, which I think is not wrong, but there's a deeper meaning here. He's speaking about spiritually, your posture spiritually. And then he makes this statement, do not hinder them. My question to myself and everyone in this building tonight, what is hindering you from full dependence on God? Being in awe of Him, being innocent before Him. What is hindering you from simply trusting in his character, and in his goodness. For us to experience kingdom life, we have to fully depend on him, be in awe of him, get our innocence restored, and the last thing, simply trust him. I want to ask Yaku and the team to come and join me. We're going to sing one last song together. And I really have on my heart that we should pray tonight for people who are saying, yes, I have, I have been walking with God, but I have lost the reality of kingdom life in my life. I'm not experiencing kingdom life under the reign and rule of God. And I want you to surrender tonight and say, say Lord, I want to be a child again. Maybe you're sitting here and you're you're not even sure if you are a child of God or if you can become His child. Tonight, the invitation to you is come as you are. Come as you are. I'm thinking about the thief on the cross next to Jesus. Never attended a Bible study, a community group. He wasn't baptized. He did not read Bible. He never prayed. He simply says, think of me when you are in paradise. That's all. Jesus says, tonight, today, you will be in paradise with me. Jesus' invitation tonight is come as you are. I want to pray for you. Let's close our eyes for a moment. Jesus, I'm praying for those who 
who're missing out on kingdom life. You will restore innocence in them, God. I pray that they will be again on their knees to be totally dependent on you and simply trust you, God. But I also pray for people who are sitting here tonight and saying, I'm not sure if I am a child of God. God, I pray that they would respond in this moment to your invitation to come as you are and simply put their lives into your hands. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will bring new life to them right now in this moment. God, I pray for new birth, being born again into the kingdom, into God's family in this moment. Amen. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.